Chapter 10 of The Ultimate Weapon by John Campbell, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 Sadly, the convalescent Garest Gakay listened to the reports of his lieutenants. More and more disgraced he felt as he realized how badly he had blundered in reporting the people of this system unable to cope with the attacker's weapons. Garest Gakay looked up at his old friend and physician, Mirth Sakal. He shook his head slowly. "'I'm afraid, Mirth Sakal, I am afraid. We have perhaps made a mistake. The better and the stronger alone should rule, aye, but is the stronger always the better? I'm afraid we have mistaken the truth in assuming this. If we have, then may Jorth, Lord of Truth and Wisdom, punish us. Almighty Jorth, if I have mistaken in following my judgments, it is not from disobedience, it is the lack of thy knowledge. The strongest, they are not always the better, are they? Mirth Sakal bent sharply over his friend. Quiet thyself, Garesh Gakay. You know when I know you have done only your best, and surely Jorth himself can ask no better of any one. You must rest, for only by rest can those terrible burns be healed. All your sathene, over half the body area, was burned off. You have been delirious for many days. But, Mirthsikal, think, have we disobeyed Jorth's will? It is, we know, his will that only the best and the strongest shall rule. But are the best always the strongest? An imbecile adult could destroy the life of a genius-grade child. The strongest wins, but not the best. Such would not be the will of Jarth. If we be the stronger and the best, then it is right and just that these strange creatures should be destroyed, that we may have a stable world of stable light and heat. But look and see with what terrible swiftness these strange creatures have learned. May it not be they are the better race, that it is we who are the weaker and the poorer? Can it be that Jarth has brought us together that these people might learn and destroy us? If they be the stronger and the better, then may Jarth's will be done. But we must test our strength to the utmost. I must rise and go to my laboratory soon. They have it set up? Aye, they have, Garest Gurkay. But remember, the weak and the sick make faults the strong and the well do not. Better that you rest yourself. There is little you can do while your body seeks to recover from these terrible burns. You are wrong, my friend, wrong. Don't you see that my mind is clear, that it is the mind which must fight in these battles, for surely the man is weak against such things as this infra-X radiation? Why, I am better able to fight now than you are, for I am a trained fighter of the mind, while you are a trained healer of the body. These strange beings, with their stiff arms and legs, their tender skins, and, and their swift minds, have fought us all too well. If we must test, let it be a test. I have heard how they so quickly solved the riddle of the crumbling field. That took us longer, and we designed it. The Council of Worlds put me in command. Let me up, Skull. I must work. Concerned, the physician looked down at him. Finally he spoke again. No, I will not permit you to leave the hospital ship. You must stay here. But if, as you have said, the mind is what must fight, 
Then surely you can fight well from here, for your mind is here. No, I cannot, and you well know it. I may shorten my life, but what matter? Death is the end toward which the chemical reaction life tends, quoted the scientist. You know I have left my children. My immortality is assured through them. I can afford to die in peace if it assures their welfare. Time is precious, and while my mind might work from here, it must have data on which to work. For that I must go to the laboratories. Help me, Mirth Sakal. Reluctantly the physician granted the request, but begged of Gareskake a promise of at least six hours rest in every fifteen, and a good sleep of at least twenty-seven hours every night. Gareskake agreed, and from a wheelchair conducted his work, began a new line of experimentation he hoped would yield them the weapon they needed. Under him the staff of scientists worked, aiding and advising and suggesting. The apparatus was built, tested, and found wanting. Time and again as the days passed they watched Gareth Gakay gaining strength very, very slowly, taken away despondent at the end of his forty hours of work. A dozen expeditions were sent to Jupiter's poles to watch and measure and study the tremendous auroral displays there, where Jupiter's vast magnetic field sucked in countless quintillions of the flying electrons from the sun and brought them circling in in a vast magnificent display of auroral ionization. Expeditions went to the great southern plateau, the Plateau of Storms where the titanic air currents resulted in an everlasting display of terrific lightnings, great burning balls of electric force floating dangerous and deadly across the frozen ultra-cold plain. And the expeditions brought back data. Yet still Gareth Gakay could not sleep, his thoughts intruding constantly. Hours Merksakal spent with him, calming him to sleep. But what is this constant search? It is little enough I know of science, but why do you send our men to these spots of wonderfully beautiful but useless natural forces? Can we somehow, do you think, turn them against the people of these worlds?" Softly the old Miran smiled. Yes, you might say so. For look, it is the strange balls of electric force I want to know about. Sothor had few, but occasionally we saw them. Never were they properly investigated. I want to know their secret, for I am sure they are balls of electric forces not vastly dissimilar from the nucleus of the atom. Always we have known that no system of purely electrical forces could remain stable. Yet these strange balls of energy do. How is it? I am sure it will be of vast importance. But the direct secret, I hope, I learn is in this. What can be done with electric fields can nearly always be duplicated or paralleled in the magnetic fields. If I can learn how to make these electric balls of energy, can I not hope to make similar magnetic balls of energy?" Yes, I see. That would seem true. But what benefit would you derive from that? You have magnetic beams now, and yet they are useless, because you can get nowhere near the forts. How then would these benefit you? We can do nothing to these forts because of that magnetic shield. Could we once break it down, then the fort is helpless, and one or two small atomic bombs destroy it. 
but we cannot stay near, for the terrible infra-X-rays of theirs burn holes in our ships and in our men. But look, you, I can drop many atomic bombs from a distance where their beams are ineffective. Suppose I do make a magnetic ball of energy, a magnetic bomb, then I can drop it from a distance. We have learned that the power supply of these forts is very great, but not endless, as is ours, thanks to the vast supplies of power metal on this heavy planet. That all we need do is stay at a distance where they cannot reach us, and drop magnetic bombs. Ah, they will be stopped and their energy absorbed, but we can keep it up, day after day, and slowly drain out their power. Then, then our atomic bombs can destroy these forts, and we can move on. But suddenly the animation and strength left his voice. He turned a sad, downcast face to his friend. But, Mirth Sakal, we can't do it, he complained. Ah, now I see why you so want to continue this wearing and worrying work. You need time, Gerest Kakei, only time for success. Tomorrow it may be that you will see the first hint that will lead you to success. Ah, I only hope it, Mirth Sakal, I only hope it. But it was the next day that they saw the first glimpse of the secret, and saw the path that might lead to hope and success. In a week they were sending electric bombs across the laboratory, and in three days more a magnetic bomb streaked dully across the laboratory to a magnetic shield they had set up, and buried itself in it to explode in brilliant light and heat. From that day Gerest Kakei began to mend. In the three weeks that were needed to build the apparatus into ships, he regained strength so that when the first flight of four interstellar ships rose from Jupiter, he was on the flagship. To Phobos they went first, to the little inner satellite of Mars, scarcely eight miles in diameter, a tiny bit of broken metal and rock, utterly airless, but scarcely more than thirty-seven hundred miles from the surface of Mars below. The Mars Center and Deanmore forts were wasting no power raying a ship at that distance. They could, of course, have damaged it, but not severely enough to make up for the loss of their strictly limited power. The photocells had been working overtime, every minute of available light had been used, and still scarcely twenty-one hundred tons of charged mercury remained in the tanks of Mars Center and nineteen hundred and fifty in the tanks of Deanmore. The flight of five ships settled comfortably upon Phobos, while the three relieved of duty started back to Jupiter. Immediately work was begun on the attack. The ships were first landed on the near side, while the apparatus of the projectors was unloaded. Then the great ships moved around to the far side. Phobos, of course, rotated with one face fixed irrevocably toward Mars itself, the other always to the cold of space. Great power leads trailed beneath the ship and to the dark side. Then there were huge water lines for cooling. On this almost weightless world, where the great ships weighing hundreds of thousands of tons on a planet weighed so little they were frequently moved about by a single man, the laying of five miles of water conduit was no impossibility. Then they were ready. Mars Center came first. 
automatic devices kept the aim exact as the first of the magnetic bombs started down. At five-second intervals they were projected outward, invisible globes of concentrated magnetic energy undetectable in space. Seven seconds passed before the first became dimly visible in the thin air of Mars. It floated down, it would miss the fort, it seems, so far to one side. Abruptly it turned, and darted with tremendously accelerating speed for the great magnetic field of the fort. With a vast blast of light it exploded. Five seconds later a second exploded. And a third. Mars Center signaled scoffingly that the bombs were all being stopped dead in the magnetic atmosphere after the bombardment had been witnessed from Earth and Luna. An hour later they gave a report that they were concentrated magnetic fields of energy that would be rather dangerous if it weren't that they couldn't even stand into the magnetic atmosphere. Three hours later Mars Center reported that they contained considerably more energy than had at first been thought. Further, which they had not carefully considered at first, they were taking energy with them. They were taking away about an equal amount of energy as each blew up. It was only a half-hour after that the men of Mars Center realized perfectly what it meant. Their power was being drained just a little bit better than twice as fast as they generated during the day, and since Phobos spun so swiftly across the sky. Dean Moore got the attack just about the time Mars Center was released. Dean Moore immediately began seeking for the source of it. Somewhere on Phobos, but where? The Mirans were experts at camouflage. Dean Moore's station, realizing the menace, immediately rayed the projector. They tore up a great deal of harmless rock with their huge UV rays, but the bomb device continued to throw one bomb each five seconds. When Deemor operated from Phobos's position, Mars Center was exposed to the deadly constant drain. A day or two later the bombs were coming one each second and a half, for more ships had joined in the work on Phobos. Garest Kakei saw the work was going nicely. He knew that now it was only a question of time before those magnetic shields would fail, and then the whole fort would be powerless. Maybe it might be a good idea, when the forts were powerless, to investigate instead of blowing them up. There might be many interesting and worthwhile pieces of apparatus, particularly the UV beams apparatus. End of Part 10